What kind of people does a church accept? What kind of people belong in church? As a pastor, I uh, instruct people who want to become members of our church. Maybe they're going to make profession of faith or they're going to be baptized. And obviously, I go over some basics with them. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What does Jesus do? How does God want us to live? And we also have to talk about the issue of sin. What is sin? And often, like Sunday school kids, they know sin is bad. God doesn't like sin. He wants us to live lives without sin. And so then, I often ask, so are you a sinner? And sometimes this throws them for a loop because they think it's a trick question, right? Because remember, we've just covered that sin is bad and God hates sin. And now they want to be a member of the church and I'm kind of the gatekeeper here. And so I ask them, are you a sinner? And they go, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. In order to get in, do I have to say, no, I'm not? Do I admit to being a sinner? So today we hear a story about Jesus, a story that answers the question, what kind of person does the church accept by answering what kind of person God loves? We're going to read from Luke 7, and I actually have the passage on the screen. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner, to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men, says Jesus, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, "Uh, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is invited to the home of Simon, a Pharisee, a person well-educated in matters of theology, scripture, religious law, an example to others in the community. Someone who treats sin like a contagious virus and who lives his life to eradicate and committed to eradicating sin in himself and in others through self-control, attention to detail, externals. Now, Jesus accepts the invitation, even though he often disagrees with the Pharisees and has run-ins with them, he's not adverse to socializing with them. It must have been a fancier kind of meal because people were reclined in banquet fashion. They would lie on small sort of sofas with their head toward the table and their feet stretched out behind them. And at such a dinner, the home would likely be open and others could presumably enter and sit around the walls to listen to the religious teachers dialogue together. So why did Simon invite Jesus. Well, the story doesn't reveal that, but you get the impression that he's very curious about Jesus, skeptical, but curious. This is hospitality with a hitch. He wants to see what this Jesus is by what he might say or do. And well, he soon gets an occasion to judge that because a woman enters the home. Not a slave or a servant or a wife or a daughter, a woman with a specific role in that room, but a woman from the town, a well-known woman, not as in rich and famous, but well-known for her life of sin. Maybe involved in unsavory business dealings, maybe a prostitute. In any case, she was well-known. So she comes in and she stands by the feet of Jesus in the middle of this fancy dinner full of these important men. And she commences to make a scene. Though she never says a word, she begins to rain down tears at his feet that are stretched out. That's what it says literally. She is crying hard. The tears are just running down and raining down on his feet. And as she sees the tears fall, she decides to wipe them up with her hair. And that's a humble act, a lowly act. Taking care of the feet of of someone was the work of the lowest of servants. And then for her to take her hair down was disgraceful. 
What is she thinking? In the room full of these kind of men. But she doesn't notice the men. She only has eyes for Jesus. And then she takes this jar of rich, expensive perfume and lavishly pours it over Jesus' feet. Weeping, wiping, pouring, wiping, pouring out her heart. Quite a scene. And what does Simon think of this display? Is he touched? Is his heart strangely warmed? No. He's only watching Jesus. And he thinks, well, I guess we can scratch profit off our list of attributes of Jesus. Profit he certainly isn't. Because a prophet would be able to read who this woman is and any self-respecting man who knew what this woman was wouldn't allow her to touch him. Especially a prophet would want to keep his distance, want to keep himself holy and clean, free from sin. The irony is that Jesus is a prophet and he knows what Simon is thinking. And as one book said, when Jesus reads minds, a rebuke often follows. Simon, he says, I have something to say to you. Oh, go ahead, teacher, says Simon. And Jesus tells him a story, a parable. And as parables go, it's a tiny one. It doesn't have any lead in. There are three characters two debtors and a lender, one with a debt 10 times the other person. One incident, neither of them can pay, so the lender decides to forgive both debts. And then the question is, which one will love more? So Simon answers grudgingly, I suppose the one who owed more. The one who owed more will be more grateful The parable explains the woman's actions. God has forgiven her much, and so she loves much, lavishly, freely. Simon, it is implied, is the other debtor. God doesn't have to forgive him for very much, does he, in his own mind? I mean, Simon does a pretty good job of keeping himself clean, thank you very much. God doesn't have to spend a lot of grace on Simon. How easily don't we slip into that same pattern of thinking? God doesn't have to spend a lot of grace on me, really. He thought he'd have to pay a huge debt to set me free from my sin, but look at my, my sin is so small, especially compared to that of other people. You know, God must actually be pretty happy that I signed up for his team because I, I didn't, I don't cost him a whole lot. And then Jesus asks Simon a poignant question. He says, do you see this woman? Does Simon see this woman? Well, of course he did, in a literal sense. Do we see this woman? What do we see when we see other people? What do we see when we see someone like this? 
Is there a label that we immediately give such a person? How about this one? Or this one lying on the ground, surrounded by Toronto police, a young black man. Or how about this one? How about if this story is the equivalent of a girl like this running in to our chapel this morning and weeping at my feet? Or how about these guys? What do we see? Simon doesn't see the woman, the person, the one made in God's image. He sees only a sinner. And Simon lives by a certain equation. His equation is sinner equals bad, Simon equals good and righteous, and therefore avoid contamination. But Jesus asks him to look at the person. Simon the righteous, in fact, must learn from the sinful woman. Just as Jesus asks us to look beyond the label by which we might prejudge someone, because to Jesus, every sinner is an opportunity. It's a person who needs a right relationship with God. The worse their condition, the more desperately they need it. As one commentator says, when Jesus, Jesus sees what the sinner could be through God's love. And then Jesus puts the actions of the righteous Simon beside that of the sinful woman, and Simon comes up short on every single one. He hasn't treated Jesus properly as a guest. He hasn't been a good host. And since he was unsure what label to put on Jesus yet, he treated him ambiguously. And these are signs that he does not know very much about God's love. If those marks of hospitality are the contest, then Simon is by far the loser and the sinful woman is the winner. Why? Because she knows how to treat others. She has received great love and she knows how to show it. As it says in 1 Peter, love covers a multitude of sins. For all of Simon's righteousness, this woman knows a lot more about the love of God and the heart of God than he does. So what kind of people does God love? God loves sinners. And you know what? That's a good thing. A very good thing, whether you're on this journey a short while or whether you have been on a Christian journey for decades, God loves us the way we are when we first come to him. He'll take us as we are and then begin his work on us. We don't have to clean up our lives first. In fact, God knows more than we do that we can't clean up our lives. That's the whole point. First, anyway. Our efforts to clean ourselves up to God's standards will only fail. God will take us and clean us up. He will fill in the gap by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's our only hope. And he paid a huge price to make that possible. The death of his beloved son. So that all who believe in Jesus can come into relationship with God again. The kind of love that Jesus shows the woman is the love that God shows to us. You see, Simon worked with one equation, but God has another one. God's equation goes like this. Great sin plus great forgiveness equals great love. Why does Jesus hang out with sinners? Because, says one commentator, in forgiving sinners for a large debt of sin, God is able to transform them into people who display great love. So what kind of people does a church accept? Only sinners. And that's a good thing because there aren't any other kind of people. Not even us when we might dress up nicely on Sundays and behave ourselves and smile and sing our hearts out and raise our hands and do all the right things. No matter what our clothes say or our cosmetics or the cars we drive, we all come to that door into the kingdom of God and we must die to enter. Sort of like a birth. There's only one natural way, and we all come out the other side looking the same. So in case you're wondering about the skill-testing question, are you a sinner, the answer is yes, I am a sinner. In fact, it's a requirement of membership to confess, to admit that I am a sinner. Just as it's a requirement of belonging to AA that you admit that you were powerless over your addiction. But often people get the impression that that's the wrong answer. That Jesus didn't come for sick people. He only wants to come out and hang out with the healthy. And sadly, it's the church itself that often gives that impression. Intentionally and unintentionally, people get the idea that church is something you have to be good enough to join. And if you aren't good enough, don't bother. I walked with a woman on her faith journey, and she committed her life to the Lord. And as we talked about various things, she had two sons at the time. And she said, oh, but you guys are all so good. And she was a single mother. And not only that, the boys don't have the right kind of clothes to wear to come to church. Wow. I was shocked at the kind of impression we can give as church members, things that we don't even think about ourselves, that give an impression that if you uh, belong to a church, you must be dr- drive a minivan. You must have three children who wear these kinds of clothes or all the unintentional messages that people pick up. The church should not forget its mission that it doesn't exist for itself, but for the world that God loves. 
the world that God loves so much that he gave his only begotten son so that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Such love extended to you, extended to me. None of us who deserve it, none of us right enough to have earned it, but only sinners saved by grace, not for ourselves, to feel good about ourselves that we've arrived, but for the world that God loves. Great sin plus great forgiveness equals great love. How great is your love? Let me lead you in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for this woman who gave it all up to come into the presence of Jesus, recognizing someone who could receive her as she was and lavish love on her. Forgive us for being too much like Simon, thinking that we have earned our right to be in your kingdom and forgetting our great debt and your great forgiveness and the great love that spurs us to love the world that you have made. Help us to follow this example and empower us by your Holy Spirit to set the world on fire with the love of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. I would invite you to stand for God's parting blessing as you go. In my own tradition, um, I raise my hands in this way in giving the benediction, and I would invite you, uh, if you're comfortable, to lift your hands in this manner to receive these words of God's blessing. People of God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord smile on you and fill your life with his shalom, his peace. And all God's people say, amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.